how many of y'all remember print newspapers? Anybody remember print newspapers? That was so long ago. Well, long ago, there was a lady named Ann Landers, and she would, was an advice columnist, and she was asked one time what was the number one topic of the letters she received. She said, without a doubt, the number one topic was fear. Now, if we could somehow hook into the technology of our projector up here and we wire up your brain and we were to project your greatest fears on this screen, what would we see? We wouldn't do that, but, but let's just pretend for a minute because that's coming. That's coming. Maybe not in my lifetime, but in somebody's. Um, some of you would be afraid that you're going to lose your job. Some of you are afraid that you're going to lose your marriage. Some of you are afraid you're going to lose a kid, that your kid is going the wrong direction and they're going to destroy their lives. Some of you are afraid of your health. And, and fear has a lot of names. We call it worry. We call it tension, anxiety, stress, phobias. And it's, it's very common. It's more common than I realized. And, and in fact, I went back and I found this. Um, in the early 2000s, I found this in my studies, um, there was a study done of 500 different people about their fears. They discovered those 500 people had 7,000 different fears. If you do the math, that's an average of 14 fears per person. This is not a minor issue, and I think it's actually greater today than it was in the early 2000s. So I'm going to give you a couple of statements about fear. We're going to open up God's Word and see what it has to say about that. First one is fear is contagious. You hang out with people who are afraid of the world, and it becomes very tempting to see the world the way they see it. Um, you get it from other people. It's contagious. Here's a quote that I found. I didn't even find the, who, who did this. You can find this and tell me. Fear is the dark room where negatives develop. Some of you don't know that cameras used to have film. We didn't take pictures with our phones back in the day. There was film, and you had to go into this dark room. If you had any light, um, that, that it would be messed up. Your negative would be messed up. So this is really funny if you're, like, over... 50? I don't know. Um, fear is this place where you go into a dark place and negatives jump into your mind and they dominate your mind, right? We know that fear drains us. How many of you have ever been exhausted because of things you're afraid of? It just wears you out worrying about certain things. Again, three of us. The most important, so it's obviously not very common in this room, but uh, we're going to plow ahead anyway. The most important thing that I want you to hear today is that God does not want you to be afraid. And I'm going to show you several scriptures about that. Here's the first one, Ephesians 3.12. In Christ, we can come before God with freedom and without what? Without what? Fear. Without what? Fear. Thank you. We can do this through faith in Christ. Freedom without fear through Christ, we can come to our Father. Now look at this, 1 John 4.18. Where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out what? Fear. Thank you. First time. Good job. Now... The Bible says that the opposite of love is fear, and the opposite of fear is love. When, when love comes in the front door of your life, fear is going to go out the back door of your life. Scripture is very clear. God's perfect love drives out fear. So first thing, you gotta, if you're going to defeat fear or if you know somebody, because obviously y'all don't have fear, but you know somebody who has fear. So here, let me help you out. You can tell them this. Number one, to defeat fear is you have to accept God's love. Last week, we sang a song, Who You Say I Am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Today, we sang about God's love is with us. His love is fierce. He pursues us. You have to accept that love if you want to overcome fear. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a guy named Elijah, and I've just decided, I don't know when I'm going to come back and do a whole series on Elijah. This is one message today, but there's so much material, I can't get it all in. But there's a guy named Elijah. He was a prophet, and it's tempting to think of Elijah as this super prophet, this super man of God that none of us could ever be. But in the New Testament, you read this in James 5, 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Now, why would someone pray that it wouldn't rain? You have to understand. Elijah was the prophet when the wicked 
evil King Ahab was king of Israel. Now, King Ahab was evil and wicked, but his wife Jezebel was more evil, more wicked than he was. She wore the pants. She did not like the worship of the true God, so she went on this rampage to kill every prophet of God, every believer in the true God she wanted dead. Now, God protected them, and and she wasn't allowed to kill them all, but she killed a bunch. And so... Uh, God sent Elijah to Ahab to say, because you worship Baal, she started this whole Baal worship. Remember, Baal's the fertility God, the storm God. He's the one that if you please him, he sends the rains and you get crops. And so they were worshiping the Baals and God said, I want you, Elijah, to go and confront Ahab and say, it's not gonna rain on the earth for three and a half years. And so Elijah goes and tells him that. And so for three and a half years, God takes Elijah somewhere else. There's this terrible drought, terrible famine in the nation of Israel. And then after three and a half years, after some crazy, incredible miracles, at least a dozen miracles that that Elijah was a part of, God brings him back. God says, okay, three and a half years later, it's now time for you to go and present yourself to King Ahab. King Ahab, being an evil dork, when he sees Elijah, he goes, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And, And Elijah's like, dude, you're the Baal worshiper. It's you that's bringing trouble on Israel. But then I think he kind of held up the hand and said, that's not even the point. I want you to go get all the prophets of Baal. There's 450 prophets of Baal. The only one that's practicing um, uh, worshiping God, the only prophet who is out in the open is Elijah. So he says, go get all of your prophets of Baal, gather them to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is this mountain range that juts out into the sea. It separates Israel from, from other godless nations. It was a great place to have a contest. And so Elijah says, get your prophets. Let's, let's meet together on Mount Carmel. Here's what it says. Um, in the scripture in, in 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Not the prophets of God, they were hiding. The only one that was out in the open was Elijah. This is prophets of Baal. Now what happens when the king sends out word that there's gonna be a contest, there's something's gonna happen on Mount Carmel, then everybody wants to show up. You know, it's like that song, it's going down for real. How many of you know that? I, I don't know. I just see it. I see what y'all listen to. <clears throat> so they hear there's gonna be a fight between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God. Let's go watch. And so there's representatives of every tribe on Mount Carmel. And here's what Elijah says to them, not to the prophets of Baal. He says to them, he went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Now, literally, it means how long are you going to limp between two opinions? Or more accurately, it's like there's a fork in the road. And Elijah says to the people, how long are you going to hop on this fork and say, nope, this way, hop on this fork, hop on this? Because here's what they were doing. They hadn't totally rejected the true God. They, they took some of the worship of God and some of the worship of Baal, like they're at a buffet. Oh, I like this, I like this. And they're combining it. And Elijah says, no, that ends now right now look what he says to him if the Lord is God follow him if Baal is God follow him and the people it says said nothing you know when your children are guilty and you already know you tell them all the things they've done wrong and they're like and they're silent or when your authority knows everything you've done wrong and you've got nothing that's what was happening here got nothing they were just silent look what happens Elijah says, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, lowercase g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, uppercase, capital L. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, this is a great idea. So the prophets of Baal, he says, you go first. Prophets of Baal, 450 of them, shouldn't take them long right? 
So they prepare their sacrifice. They hop around, do whatever prophets of Baal did to try to get the attention of their God. And remember, their God is the storm God. And the storm God, where's he been for three and a half years? <laughs> Restrained by the true God. And so they do all of this stuff and nothing happens. And so about noon, the Bible says, Elijah, he engages in some serious prophet trash talk. I mean, this is, this is my, you tell me, because he says, hey, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to be louder. And then he says, uh, maybe he's on a trip. Or um, maybe, maybe, <laughs> I love this one. Maybe he's busy. And the Hebrew word for busy is maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> maybe your God's on the pot and he's too busy looking at Sports Illustrated to answer you. And they're screaming, oh, Baal, answer us. And, and the Bible says they're cutting themselves. And they, do, they went into a frenzy because they realized this is serious. He's challenged our God. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. And Baal doesn't answer because he's not a true God. See, here's what idolaters do. Idolaters create gods in their own image. That's why it's so fun. I don't care who you are. Prophet going, hey, Baal's on the toilet. He'll get to you when it gets around to it. That's funny. See, the reason he could hurl those insults is because they had made a God in their image, and, and it would only make sense if he doesn't answer. It's because he's on a trip or he's busy or he's relieved. It, no, the reason he doesn't answer, he's not a God. Look what happens after that. So at 3 p.m., the, the time of the evening sacrifice, when all Israel should have already known this, Elijah says, y'all come here. Now, three, well, we don't even know how many. A couple hours before noon and then three hours after noon, these people are going nuts and nothing's happened. How many of y'all going to hang out for a couple more hours, see if this God answers? By this time, do you think this God is going to answer? No. So Elijah goes, hey, y'all, come over here. They go over to him. Why not? This God didn't answer. Look what Elijah says in, in verse 36. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You're the God of our ancestors who, by the way, he's saying are still alive with you, all right? You're, you're the God who raises people from the dead. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things because you told me to at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and licked up the water because he poured water on it. He said, let's really make it difficult for the true God. Poured water on it. Fire from heaven comes down, licks it all up. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And if I'm Elijah, I'm going, you think, you idiots? He's been God this whole time, but he had to do something spectacular to turn you back to himself. And then, then, because the Old Testament said, if you're a false prophet, you're supposed to be killed. So they kill. Elijah says, let's kill all these prophets of Baal. They're false gods. They wipe them out. It's an unbelievable victory for God. It's a revival. Everybody's saying, Lord, he's God. Let's kill, all, let's kill the false prophets. And then Elijah sits down. He's kind of tired. And the Bible says he sits down, kind of resting his head between his knees. And he prays that it'll rain. And he prays seven times that it will rain. And on the seventh time, this, this thunder shower comes. And it just covers the land. Now, Baal, the storm God, was supposed to be providing. He was restrained by the real God. But at the, at the prayer of the one true prophet of God who was... Who was who was living openly for him at that time, 
the real God answers, and it's a, it's a massive storm, and everybody's like, yeah, see, if we go three and a half days without rain, we get worried, or three and a half months, this was three and a half years when this rain came. It was an unbelievable victory for God and his prophet, and it was a perfect day for about a minute and a half, because look what happens next. Now, Ahab told Jezebel, because if you're a weak, wicked king, you go to the woman who wears the pants in your house, and you ask her to defend your honor because you were just embarrassed in front of everyone. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. It was bad. So Jezebel, now Jezebel's smart enough. And let me tell you, I'm not going to get off on it. <clears throat> Jezebel's smart enough not to go herself because she heard lightning. She heard all of her prophets are dead. She's not going to go herself because she's going to be dead. But she plants a seed. She sends a note. She writes a letter. Look what it says. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods, lowercase g, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And you would expect Elijah to go, Bring it on, Jezzy. We'll see who the true God is again. But that's not what happens. Look what happens. Elijah was what? And ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, that means he's going south. Mount Carmel's up in the north. He's going south. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness further south. Where was he called to be? Mount Carmel. He's going south. He's running away. He came to a broom bush, or, or another translation says a juniper bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. God, if this is how it's going to be, if this is your world, take me out. I'm done. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And when we're afraid, it's very easy to run away from where God's called you to go. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. Two times in the last four years, I've sat right here. And I've said, God, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm done. Now, I'm not going to kill myself, but I said, Lord, have at it. Go ahead. First time was when my youngest daughter attempted suicide. I was devastated. And all I heard was, you're a failure. Not from you all. You guys were awesome. But from the enemy. You're a terrible dad. You have no credibility as a man of God. You've got to go. So I just sat here. And that was the time I played um, I'm Not Alone. I carried Job over and over and over. It was so long that, that Janie drove up here and, to see what was wrong with me because she kept calling me and I wouldn't answer. I couldn't. I was, I was done. I, I don't want to be here anymore, God. If this is way it's, if following you costs me this much, I don't want to be here. And God finally said, and this is what, when we study Elijah, you'll see this. God finally said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah whines, and he goes, I'm the only one who's left. And God says, no, dude, 7,000 are left. Get up. You know, That's kind of what God did. What are you doing, Doug? God, I'm just tired. I can't do this anymore. And what God did with Elijah was he caused him to sleep. He fed him. Then he reminded him of his own power. And then he reminded him of his job that he had to do. And that's what God's done with me. And if you are in the wilderness, 
That's what God has to do with you. You may be exhausted. When you're exhausted, you don't think clearly. You may be far from where God called you to be. And so when, when Elijah finally is ready, God says, turn your little prophet self around and retrace your steps. He is, he's, he's been gone about eight weeks, we think, from where he's supposed to be. Mount Carmel was way up north. He's way down south. He's actually at Mount Sinai where Moses was. There's some students believe that he's in the same cave that Moses was in. And God asked him twice, why are you here and Elijah whines. He gives him the same answer. And finally, God reminds him of his love. Like the, like the video, he reminds him of the father's love. And he reminds him that he's not done with him yet. And then Elijah says, okay, God. So the two times I've sat here and said I'm done, God reminded me of how much he loved me. His love overwhelmed me. And he said, where are you going to go? If you don't do this, where are you going to go? I don't know. Get up and do what I called you to do. And so I did. Now, I want you to understand that there's, there's different kinds of fears you can have. There's surface-level fears, fears like um, you're, you're afraid you're not going to be able to pay your bills, you're going to gonna run out of gas before you get to the gas station. I'm the guy I just like to see. You know, if it's down below E, I'm like, we can make it. We've been, oh, dude, only two times, and luckily none with Janie in the car, have I, have I run out of gas when I was down there. I was like, oh, well, that's how far I can go. Um, that, I just like to do that. And, and so I'm like, we can make it, we can make it. Some of you are afraid you're going to run out of gas before you get to the gas station. Some of you are afraid you're going to have a car wreck and you're not going to have on clean underwear like your mama told you to have on. And, and so those are surface fears. Let me just say those aren't that big a deal. They're not that important. Now, there's a, there's a deeper level of fear, and these are very unsettling and much more troubling. Fears like fear of failure. Fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. Janie's core fear is fear of abandonment. Why? Her father left her and her mother when she was younger. She has a core fear. She's afraid she's going to be abandoned. Uh, Fear of losing control, fear of being found out, fear of not being adequate for the task. I have a fear of being belittled. I have a fear of being controlled because that's my past. That's how I grew up. But those aren't even our deepest fears, right? There's something I call the soul fear. And it's singular. It's not plural. It's singular. It's your greatest need. It's my greatest need. And it's much, much deeper. It is the root out of which all the other fears flow. And if you do not deal with the root, you are going to struggle with fear all of your life. Until you get healing at this deepest level, you'll never take care of the surface fears. Now, here it is. The, The greatest fear, no one will love me. Now, hang on. I know some of you are going, Hang on. No one will love me if they knew the real me. I know me. And there's times that I think, how could, how could anyone? There's times I even thought, how could my mama love me? Right? Because I, I can be, I can think things, I can say things, I can do things that are, that are not reflective of, of God. And I think when you're honest too, you think, who, who could love me? And see, your deepest need put there by God is unconditional love. Unconditional love. You want to be, you need to be loved, not for what you could be, not for what you could make, not, um, not for anything you could do, but just love for who you are. That's why, that's why God's perfect love casts out fear. 
because he put the desire in you to be loved unconditionally. Elijah looked at the circumstances and thought, I've blown it. It's not worth my life being here. But nothing could be further from the truth. God wasn't finished with him yet, and he's not finished with you yet. God had to show Elijah how much he loved him. See, Elijah's real problem is he had listened to the lies of the enemy. Jezebel was a messenger of Satan then and now. There's a spirit of Jezebel. We won't get into that. But she was a messenger from Satan, and he believed the lies. I mean, think about this. How ridiculous is this? We, we get scared, and we forget all the things that God has done for us. What had God just done 30 minutes before for Elijah? Fire from heaven. Kill the prophets of Baal. Rain. People on their faces. God. He's God. He's, your God is God. Gets a note from a mean girl. Ah! Run for the hills. Almost pulled my head off. Run for the hills. And we do that, don't we? We forget all the blessings of God because somebody was mean to us. How dare you be mean? What in the world is going on here? All right. I got too much rope back there. I'm going to hang myself in a minute. Not intentionally. This is ridiculous. But God doesn't make fun of him. When he shows up in the cave, God doesn't chastise him. God says, what are you doing here? And then God shows him his power. God reveals his love. And, and Elijah goes, okay, I'm in. I'm, 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 I'm headed back. And when you're worn out and you're depressed and you're scared and everything bothers you, you need to be reminded of God's love and that he's called you to do something greater than yourself. And if you, if you don't accept God's love, there's going to be this giant gaping cavern in your soul and it will fill up over and over and over again with fear. And what's ironic to me is that when we need God the most is when we're running the fastest away from him. You notice that? And it's because of guilt. We know we're wrong. And it goes back to Adam, the very first man when he ate the apple or whatever it was. We don't know what fruit it was. God comes looking for him. He says, where are you? And Adam says, I was afraid, so I hid. And people have been running and hiding from God ever since. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, you don't know what I've done. God couldn't love me. What I've done is too, too horrible. Wrong. Look what God's word says in Romans 8, 39. Nothing. What's that word? Nothing. Come on. What's that word? Nothing. In all creation can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Do you know the scientific meaning of nothing? <laughs> Come on. Nada. Zero. All right? Here's the thing. I want you to understand this. God's never stopped loving you. That does not mean he approves of everything you've ever done. If you have kids, you understand this. If you have teenagers, you know this. You can still love someone and not approve of the things that they do. God's never stopped loving you, but it doesn't, he doesn't approve of things you've done that are not from him. Others of you are going to say, well... You know, I'm not that bad a person, and I just don't think God's that interested in me. Well, you're wrong too. Luke 12, 7. Everybody's wrong. Luke 12, 7. God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. It may take him longer to count yours than mine, but he knows how many. And he knows this one I call the North Pole. When I shave my head, sometimes it flaps in the wind. And, and I, the first time I saw my little cul-de-sac, 
And see, I actually have more than two, but, you know, I just don't care. It, cul-de-sac to me is just, I'm sorry if you have one and you like your cul-de-sac, look, more power to you. Have at it. But the first time I saw that I have a cul-de-sac going on here, I was like, I got to get rid of this stuff. And uh, anyway, bald is beautiful. And, and I, somebody asked me one time, are you bald on purpose? <laughs> are you stupid on purpose? No, I didn't say that. See, I'm evil. I know people can't love me for me. If I let it out, uh, no. See, it's one thing to know about God's love. It's another thing to know. People know about the cross, but they don't understand the cross. If that's, that's all you have to do to, to know how much you're loved. And you're never going to feel God's love until you accept what he did on the cross. I receive your love, God. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. The God of the universe wants to know you, and he sent Jesus Christ to show us what God is like, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be raised again. So the first thing you have to do to defeat fear is you've got to accept God's love. The second thing you have to do is you have to believe that Jesus died and rose for me. Write the words for me, and then I want you to circle about 800 times the word me. It's not enough to know Jesus died and rose from the grave. That's head knowledge. He died for me. You have to accept it and believe it. <clears throat> um, it's one thing to believe about a person. It's another to believe in. How many of you believe Michael Jordan was a great basketball player? All right, I don't care. He's a great basketball player. <laughs> and he was in the first Space Jam. I just heard that that other dude, LeBron, is going to be in a second one. Anyway, ne- never mind. I, I, I believe the stuff I read about Michael Jordan, and he was one of the greatest basketball players ever. And if I were playing a basketball game and I had a last-second shot that I needed to get, I'd probably want him on my team but I don't believe in him to save me. It's more than head knowledge. The Greek word for believe is this. To trust in, cling to, rely on, adhere to, sell out to, commit to. I, I believe there was a guy named Vladimir Lenin. That actually wasn't his real name. He changed his name because he's one of the first communists and he started communism in the, in the Soviet Union. He had to change his name because somebody would have killed him because he was a communist. I believe there was a guy who changed his name to Vladimir Lenin, but I'm not a communist. Why? Because I've not sold out to him. I've not committed to him. I believe there was a guy named Adolf Hitler who, who was a Nazi. That doesn't make me a Nazi. Why? Because I'm not adhering to his teachings. I'm not committed to his teachings. But I believe in a man named Jesus Christ, and I'm a Christian. Why? Because I have sold out to him. I've committed to him. There's a difference in believing about and believing in. You must believe in. Now, I... I done a couple of funerals lately, and, and anytime I'm, I'm doing funerals, I just start thinking about what happens on the other side of death, because I believe I'm supposed to help people understand what Scripture says about death. And, and you don't base it on my word, you base it on Jesus' word, the only one who rose from the dead, never to die again, right? So I share all the time at, the, at these funerals, there was a Buddhist in Africa, and, and he, he converted from Buddhism to con- Christianity. He was asked, why would you make such a radical change? And he said, it's like this, if there's a fork in the road and, and you don't know which way to go and you come to that fork in the road and there's two people there, one's dead, one's alive, whose direction are you going to follow? The dead guy, you know? Well, he's pointing this way, that must be the way. Or the one who says, no, 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 no. I've walked it and this is the way. Which one are you going to listen to? I'm going to listen to the one who's alive. That makes Christianity different than any other religion. So if I believe what Jesus says, if I commit to and, and, and I adhere to his teaching, what difference will it make? Well, one huge thing is I don't have to fear death ever again. Look what it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. 
By embracing death, Jesus destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life scared to death by death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through their fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. Most people don't want to talk about death. They don't ever want to think about death. Why? I think a couple of reasons. One is they don't know what's going to happen on the other side. I believe the only one who rose from the dead never to die again said, I'm the way, so I'm going to follow him. Two, I think the reason people don't don't want to die, they're afraid to die, is because they they know they're not ready to meet God. If there is a God, they know they're not good enough to meet him. I'm not worried about that because my Savior, the one I have committed to, adhered to, I cling to, has said, I've prepared a place for you. And if I prepare a place, I will come back and I will get you so that you can be where I am. Because I live, Jesus said, you will live too. I put my faith in him, so I'm not afraid to die. And then look what he says about heaven. Romans 10, 13. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not be disappointed. We don't know what heaven's going to be like, but let me tell you what it's not going to be like. You're not going to have a harp. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud. You're not going to be an angel. Okay, stop saying heaven gained another angel. If that, if that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. Just pretend I'm Elijah and I'm a punk right now, okay? And I'm telling you, angels are different than human beings. You do not get wings when you go to heaven. You get a crown if you serve Christ. You don't get wings. You don't become an angel. They're different. Their, their purpose is different than a human being. So stop saying that. You're spreading ignorance about the kingdom of God. If you're going to post something, if you're going to post something on Facebook, <laughs> stink and know what you're talking about. Spirit of Elijah just flew all over me. <laughs> I can't imagine anything more boring than playing a harp sitting on a white cloud. I mean, I'm sorry. I was a music major at Baylor. I had to, I had to go to a couple of harp concerts. I'm amazed I can see because I wanted to pull my eyes out. Um, <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> if Think about this. God, the Bible says it took God six days to create the earth, and the earth is fantastic. I've been to Niagara Falls. Last summer, I walked the Inca Trail and, and went to Machu Picchu. I have seen the Grand Canyon. This world is spectacular. If God can do spectacular things in six days, the Bible says Jesus is working on our home in heaven for centuries. Can you imagine? No, you can't. Scripture says you can't. You can't even imagine. It's like this. It's like if, and this is a horrible picture because I didn't let, let, didn't let it <laughs> come all the way in, but that's a canary. If you're a canary and you live in the cage and you're on your little thing, maybe you have a swing, maybe you have a mirror and you think, oh, look at her. I don't know. You have this thing, but all you ever know is this cage that you're in and, and somebody hands in some little bird seed and you eat the bird seed. Ooh, this is a great life. If the owner of that cage takes you out and takes you to the Amazon rainforest where it's magnificent, there's thousands and thousands of birds and they're all flying around and there's rainbows and there's waterfalls and there's all this stuff, would you be bored if you started there and end up in the rainforest? No. This world is not your home. And you're not going to be bored in heaven. This world is like a cage. 
We only know just a little bit. Paul says we see dimly now, but one day, if you're a Christ follower, you will see face to face, and you don't have to fear death. I don't, I'm not afraid to die because my Savior lives. And look what it says. Not only will you not be disappointed, it says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No, no one's ever seen or heard anything like this, never so much as imagined anything quite like it, what God has arranged for those who love him. You can't imagine it. You will not be disappointed. So to defeat fear, you have to accept the love of God. You have to believe that Jesus died and rose for me. You have to accept that gift. And third, you have to commit your fears to Christ. Not only commit your life, commit your fears. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 says this. Don't be afraid of anyone. Don't worry. Don't have, uh, but have reverence for Christ in your heart and honor him as Lord. When you have reverence for Christ, you don't worry. So if you know how to worry, you know how to worship. And if you're worrying, you need worship. And you need to worship until you stop worrying, until you focus on your heavenly father. Somebody in here, I don't think anybody in the first service knew this, so this, anyway. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have what? No other. Thank you. You are the Sunday school people. Sometimes the Sunday school, anyway, I don't know. God's top, number one, top ten, no other gods. Anything in the place of God is called idolatry. So if you put any, go ahead, any person, any career, any job, any decision, and I didn't mean to do this, but you're going to see it in a second, any boat, um, any house, any job, I didn't mean to do it twice, but I did it twice, any bank account, any girlfriend above God, that's called idolatry. And let me tell you, if you have anything, any of those things, on the throne of your life, you're going to be afraid. You want to know why? Say yes. Because all of those things can be taken away from you. The only thing that cannot be removed from you is the God who created you. So when you're scared, it should be a big warning sign that you've placed an idol on the throne of your life. And, and really, that's what fear is. Bottom line is fear is an idol. Fear is idolatry. Whatever you've put in first place, whatever you're afraid of, you're saying to that thing, you're greater than my God. And that's why you're afraid. Back to this verse, 1 Peter 3. Don't be afraid of anyone and don't worry. Have reverence for Christ in your heart and honor him as Lord. We don't understand this word Lord because we don't say it a lot. Lords and lasses, the only places we have that is at, at medieval times or something like that. It means boss. It means chairman of the board. Jesus doesn't want to be a resident in your life. He wants to be president in your life. He wants to be number one. He wants to call the shots. And think about this. If you really make Christ the Lord of your life, he becomes the only person you have to please. Would that reduce stress if you're not trying to please these 50 people over here who have different opinions anyway? And you only have one to please? And check this out. If you please God the Father and you obey his word, you will always do what's right. Would that take the pressure off of you? Sure, and reduce some stress. So look at this verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety, anxiety, worry, fear, phobias, cast them all on him because he cares for you. All right, let's say, and for whatever reason, I just keep coming back to trash bags. If you're here for the last series, you, you saw trash bags, so maybe I'm not very creative. Let's say that you put all of your fears, your worries, in the trash bag. 
you carry it out, and, and Republic comes along with their, whoever you have, whoever your trash people are, I didn't mean that, sanitation engineers are, come by and they pick up your trash. Have you ever gone, no, bring back my trash? Chasing them down, getting in your car, cutting them off. I need my trash. <laughs> what are they going to say? 911. <laughs> Not a crazy person here. See, when you, when you cast your cares, you, you throw it away and, and it's, they're supposed to be gone. Here, see, there's two kinds of cast. There's the cast that you put it out there and, and the garbage man takes it away. And this, there's a cast like the fishing. Oh, come on. There we go. Cast like fishing. Woo, it's gone. No, it's not. Oh, I got a big one. Come on back up here, baby. Go to youth camp. Go to a conference. Go to church. Cast your cares. No. Which cast is this verse talking about? Cast all your cares, all your anxiety. Is it talking about Throwing it and taking it back, throwing it and taking it back? No. So why are you being disobedient? Why do you constantly throw your cares and take them back and throw your cares and take them back? Why not try something different? See, when, when you're scared, when worry is, is dominating your life, it says two things. Number one, you've put something on the throne of your life that is not God. And number two, you're trying to solve that problem. Let's do something different. Anyone? Anyone want to try something different? All right. Thanks. <clears throat> Here it is, Romans eight fifteen. I love this translation. It's the message translation. This resurrection life. So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. This resurrection life you receive is not timid, grave-tending life. Instead, it's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Wouldn't you rather have that type of attitude? Show me what's next, God. This is awesome. <laughs> Jesus said, I've came to, come to give you life, not death. I've come to give you life, not some mundane existence, not some worry-filled life, but your fear, it's keeping you from living. If you try to fill that void in your heart up with anything other than God, it's going to be filled with fear. You're going to be afraid. So here's my prayer for you today. This is how we're going to finish up today. My prayer for you is this. May God bless you richly and grant you increasing freedom from all anxiety and fear. It's no accident you're here today. Your heavenly father, a thousand years before you were born, knew you would be here and knew that somebody here is struggling with fear and needed to be reminded that fear says, I got the wrong thing on the throne. So today I want you to consider praying this prayer. Would you bow your heads? And just where you are, I'll, I'll say a prayer. And if you, if you mean it, you say this to God. <clears throat> Dear God, I realize that you've never stopped loving me. Today, I want to accept your love. Jesus Christ, I believe you are who you say you are. And I believe you died for me. Today, I want to get to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to get to know you. And Jesus, because I want to get to know you, I want to commit my fears to you today. I want to cast my anxiety on you and have you take it away forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.